Welcome to Silicon Valley Momentum, where advisor and author Roland Siebeling talks all things tech startups and brings you interviews with founders across the world. Now, here's your host. Hello, and welcome to the Silicon Valley Momentum podcast. My name is Roland Siebeling, and I'm a scale-up ally for tech founders. And do we have an amazing tech founder in the studio with us today? It's Sebastiano Bertani joining us from Milan. And Sebastiano is the founder and CEO of Tanasa. Hello, Sebastiano. Hi, everyone. I'm happy to be here. Sebastiano, let's talk business. Tanasa, what do you do and what difference do you make for who in the world? So we basically built a cloud-based operating system or a cloud-based platform to manage and operate uh, networks. So if you think of how complex networks are becoming today, not only in businesses, but also in residential homes, we have more and more IoT devices. We have security threats. We have the need to do you know, Zoom calls without disruptions. So in mm-hmm. essence, the networks have to work properly. And to make that happen, you need to manage them. So what we build is a software to make this possible, to make networks manageable and to operate them in a way that everything works just fine. And we have been doing this for some time in the SMB market mainly. So imagine any place where you have a complex network to manage, uh, you have many devices to manage, you have to be sure that everything works fine. Ideally, there is some IT guy there, or that could be an IT guy from an external company providing a service. We empower those guys with our software, basically. Okay. So does that mean your core customer is really that IT guy, maybe sometimes an outsourced IT guy that helps other companies manage their networks? Yes, that is correct. We call them managed solution providers if they are outsourced, and we call them the IT guy if they are internal. (laughs) That's it. <laughs> <laughs> no fancy title for the internal IT guy yet, right? So that's very good. So what? how do you actually reach those people? Like, how do you make them aware of Tanaza solutions? And if you do reach them, what is the key benefit that you try to sell to them? So we're focusing right now, I would say, on early adopters still and visionary customers, because mm-hmm. our approach is pretty unique in the market. And I think I will explain that with an analogy. If you remember when iPhone was launched, it was the only product in the market like that. Apple innovated so much, right? Mm -hmm. Both on the hardware side, on the software side. It was like magic. No one else had anything Mm -hmm. like that. And I think it took like three years for Android to to get to a similar level, I would say, or or to Mm -hmm. be comparable in some way. Now, Mm -hmm. if you think about the main difference is Apple is a vertically integrated solution. It's hardware and software coming together from the same company. That's how they're very fast and why they're very fast to innovate and to bring innovation to market. But Android has something that is pretty unique. My father is using a $50 phone and it Mm -hmm. works as well as my phone, which is like a bit more expensive because, Mm -hmm. you know, I want something more. Mm -hmm. So that's the beauty of a disaggregated solution, of a software solution that can run a multi-vendor hardware. So that's exactly what we do. So if you Mm -hmm. go to the networking industry, you can think of Cisco, as the Apple of the networking industry. They do something very strong, software, hardware integrated. And we want to be the Android there. So we just bring to market a software, a software as a service, literally an operating system that you can install on devices provided by third parties. And so you see our typical IT guy has to be open to innovation in some way. So what we do is we promote what we do organically and people that are interested just discover about us. They get to our website, they download a software, install that on, on the gears they have, and they start using them. And sometimes the reaction is, is fantastic. 
So, mm-hmm. but this is still, I would say, in an early phase because not everybody's ready to disaggregate what is not yet disaggregated. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's very good. So let's talk a little bit about the ecosystem that you're in. Does that mean you're actually up against Cisco as possible competitors, uh, other companies that have this more vertically integrated solution? Or are you more fighting against uh, like hacks people have basically pulled together to try and manage it for themselves? What's your biggest competition? Well, that's, that's quite interesting also because it has changed over time. So in the early days, our software was limited and some very nerd, let's say two visionary early adopter or two nerd early adopter was like, yeah, I can build it myself and I can use mm-hmm. some SSH and hack together something. And that's always true. If you have a lot of time, you can, you don't need anything. You can do all yourself manually. But then if you have the natural scales, if the natural functions became, become more complex, you need something that is more structured. So in the early days, we had these kind of conversations. Now we haven't been hearing anything like that, also because the product is way more mature. Hmm. And I have to say, right now, the main competition really comes from the establishment. So hmm. the, the traditional incumbent guys in a networking space that lock their customers with these vertically integrated solutions and, and maybe expensive contracts. And you know what? I, I would say that, especially when you go to the, from SMB to enterprise, Mm. No one is going to be fired if they buy Cisco ever. Right. We, we can represent the cheaper alternative, the smarter alternative that frees companies from the lock-in. And then we know, you know, but we may be perceived as a little bit risky because we're new. So I would say the cultural shift is quite a challenge for us. But when we talk to the right type of companies, they're really getting in love with what we do. So it's either they hate what we do or they love what we do. And we try to talk to the ones that love us more. <laughs> Just because it's <laughs> of be course you do. That's uh, that's very smart. So, Sebastiano, you know, a lot of the listeners here are also in that phase where they have a product that works and they are um, trying to polish their go-to market. So, once you start understanding that that certain customers will love you and other customers will not love you, how do you hone in on them more? How do you start predicting who to reach out to, who to uh, talk the most with and how to spend your energy on? Well, I have to say that's the most complex thing to do in, mm-hmm. in the business because you see many interesting things. Oh, there's there is an opportunity there. There is an opportunity there. And, and, mm-hmm. and you really want to try to go for all of them. I think it, it really has to be realistic about what you want to do and what can be done and also what your goal is in terms of, are you trying to maximize revenues in the short term? Are you trying to pursue a long-term goal, which maybe doesn't go through having massive revenues in the short term? Mm-hmm. I think having a very clear goal is the most important thing to do. And, and I have to say, disruption and disaggregation is a very theoretical concept in some way. Mm-hmm. So we are one of those companies that really have that as a sort of you know, mission in life and, and vision. And we try to ignore anything else. But the reality is, it's very hard to stick to that line to get there because you're going to get distracted. So not being distracted is the most, I would say, difficult thing. And we try to say, what do we need to be successful uh, in the long term, not in the short mm-hmm. term? And yeah. is it really possible to do that with the vision we have in mind? So what we realized is that... Um, Yes, we're a software product, but as Android, we can't just go to market alone. Android yep. goes to market with Samsung, with LG, with, you know, 
many other hardware companies. So we realized this and then we started to understand that it makes sense for us to focus on hardware companies to empower them, literally mm -hmm. using them as our channel, pretty much as Android is doing. Yeah. And so in essence, when we could see this opportunity among all the opportunities and that this made sense compared to where we want to go as a company, we started negotiating deals where we could retain the full intellectual property because mm -hmm. that's what you do if you have an Android-like vision. And then we started trying to make our partners successful. So among the old opportunities, learning how not to get distracted by other things and just doing the right thing was the most complex thing, to be honest. And I think that's what really needs to be done by anyone who wants to bring the company to success. <laughs> I love this theme and it hasn't come up in many podcasts yet. So I'd love to delve into this a little bit more. You know, you're about 25 people right now, as I understand it. Um, so that's a, a sizable team already, right? So how do you manage your team to be focused on that vision and not to be distracted by all the under interesting stuff that uh, goes on around them? I think I, we have an amazing team and, and some of the people that really like to explore, we end up spending nights discussing about what we could do. And, and so that is like, we tend to see that as more as a fun than building stuff that is valuable. And we, if we do more than, you know, let's say a threshold of that kind of stuff, then we say, we feel like guilty. Hey, no, we need to go back to the core and let, let's work eight hours on the core and then spend one hour or another. And so we, <laughs> but I try not to enter into that mode with everybody because that would be distracting. But I know that with some people, we mm -hmm. can say, let's enter brainstorming mode. Now we can right. do whatever we want, but limited time boxing, I would say. Yeah, time boxing really as a technique to separate the explorative phase from the exploiting phase, right? So that's a, <laughs> yes, yes. a very, very good way of, of operating. So can you talk a little bit about the, the history of Tanasa? Uh, how long have you been in business? How did you found the company? Talk about the relationship with your co-founders over the years. How has everything evolved like that? Yeah, absolutely. So we started some time ago, I would say. Uh, we started in um, 2011, 2012, let's say, being uh, operating as a company. At those days, it was like, damn, I don't want to spend any more time with my mother over the phone asking me why Wi-Fi doesn't work and, and trying <laughs> to. And I was, you know, any male between 20 and 30 usually is the the IT guy of the family. And we wanted that's to right. solve that. <laughs> that's, that's what we wanted to solve. And so we started that way. And then we were literally pulled from the market to the SMB and then to the vertical, a very vertical solution in the retail space. So we started building what other companies did, like social Wi-Fi and marketing automation and monetization of Wi-Fi based on that. But we were very nerd inside. We at those days, it was like, damn, I don't want to spend any, time, any, any more time with my mother over the phone asking me why Wi-Fi doesn't work and, and trying <laughs> to. And I was, you know, any male between 20 and 30 usually is the, the IT guy of the family. And we wanted that's to right. solve that. <laughs> that's, that's what we wanted to solve. And so we started that way. And then we were literally pulled from the market to the SMB and then a very vertical solution in the retail space. So we started building what other companies did, like social Wi-Fi and marketing automation and monetization of Wi-Fi based on that. But we were very nerd inside. We, we did not want to build an application over the top. So we built a full stack from yeah. the application layer to APIs, to third-party systems, to the drivers, to mm -hmm. the operating system. And, and But our core was in, in the operating system. We, we really yeah. wanted to do networking. So at one point, we said, this space is quite crowded. We got to a good revenue, I would say, at one point, a good amount of revenue. Uh, close to a 1 million. Okay. And then at that point we said, well, we need to change. 
So mm-hmm. <laughs> we thought that would not going would not be going to scale. We were concerned about privacy problems. And yeah. if you think about it, nowadays everything is about privacy, protecting customers, mm-hmm. protecting. So I think we we were lacking understanding that sooner than later, not sticking to that market. And then we went back to the platform and reconceived the whole system as an operating system where applications can run there and you can yep. have applications for SMBs, applications that are more for the enterprise space. Now there is a nice trend where we see this complexity coming also to the residential market. Yep. And so we're very happy because with this new approach, the Android approach, we can go to hardware companies and we have a few of them already. Um, and they like to use our software to power their hardware infrastructure. Mm-hmm. And so we are the software partner that builds a sort of play store of applications, leveraging third-party companies to unleash value on top of those networks. And those guys are the guys that create distribution. It's beautiful because if you work with a company like that, you don't have to care too much about distribution. Right. You just see devices appearing and you can focus on what has value, the core of the system, adding application at the top for multiple segments. So this is pretty much the story. Now we are in a phase where we are establishing more and more relationship with hardware companies. Twice already, I think, Sebastiano, you mentioned we were pulled by the market. This is a very interesting concept to talk to founders about, I think. Like, what does it take to get these opportunities where you're pulled by the market? And what mindset do you need to cultivate for yourself to be ready for those pulls? I would say, first of all, you have to not fear to look ridiculous at all. Because oh. when, you, when, you, when you, yeah, you, you have to stop judging because if you think about the typical middle manager that works with established brands, you know, you mm-hmm. know what's right, you know, what's the right thing to say, you know, what things you cannot say, mm-hmm. you're not going to go very far. When you start exploring, you look like the idiot in the room many, many times, especially if you're talking, <laughs> especially if you're saying something out of context. And, and this is happening to me like all the time. But mm-hmm. then you find someone that thinks like you. Right. And then you can start building together something that no one else did before. So this happened many times. The last time this happened with a conversation with Facebook, for example, uh-huh. I was like, ah, we say this and that. We may look like the strange guys. And then they said, oh, no, but we, <laughs> this, is, this is super cool. We can do something together. And, you know, bump. Then, you then you're a special person or you're, you're a special, you have a special proposition. You are different then. If you if you want to if you just play it safe, this is not never going to happen. So uh, I have to say it's like a roller coaster. So so many times you're like, oh no, my life sucks. Uh, we'll never get anything done. And the day after, it's amazing. So you have to survive to this up and down, up and down, and yeah. and, and stay positive because if you stay prepared, the opportunity will come at one point, or at least when mm-hmm. it comes, you're you're going to be ready. If you let the dark forces to let you down and, and then play it safe, then yeah, uh, I mean, you're, you're going to, maybe you're going to feel better in average, but you're not going to achieve these, these things. How do you get yourself into a mindset, Sebastiano, of, you know, not trying to, uh, you know, playing, playing actually to win rather than tr- playing not to lose. That's kind of what I feel about this, right? So well, how do you do that psychologically? Tell me. I don't know if I do that. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, you're right. So I was thinking about this like a few days ago. And what's the difference between a day that you face with energy, mm-hmm. with that positive attitude, and the day where you just take care of stuff that comes, let's say. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I should use a different word, but I won't use it. So <laughs> I think it's really about the mindset. It's not, I was trying to understand, is it something that comes from an outside thing that, 
drives me? I don't think so. I think maybe I have a great day with uh, friends and family and I feel successful as a whole. And then I see everything in a positive way yeah. or the opposite. Maybe it's a difficult day for stupid things. You don't find a car parking lot or whatever. Right. And then you start seeing everything in a bad way. So I don't know. I don't know how to do that. I'd like to know how to do that always. Sometimes <laughs> I succeed, but I have to say pressure and the fear to not make it is a big part of being an entrepreneur. And I think that's what it is. I don't have a secret way <laughs> to solve it. <laughs> what about the team that you've built, Sebastiano? Can you talk a little bit about how have you built it up? What are those 25 people focused on? And especially some question that founders often want to know is how are you balancing the core product and engineering capacity versus more of the partnerships and go-to-market capacity? Whoa, that's a tough one. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I would say the majority of our team is basically engineers uh, that yep. build the product uh, or support engineers. Mm -hmm. uh, we have a, a part of the team is literally firmware side, so embedded development. Yeah. A part of that is the cloud infrastructure. There we have yep. some system administrators and you know full stack guys. In terms of the type of people we recruit, I have realized we are very tough. We, oh, yeah. we're very picky. Yeah, meaning it's very difficult to add someone to this team mm -hmm. because the threshold, the bar is so high. So sometimes I have to say, guys, hire someone. You have four, you have to pick one. Mm -hmm. You can't tell me that no, no, that all of them have at least an issue not to hire them. Right. But, but okay, this was a part of the answer. So this is how proud I am about team and uh, the passion that everybody has. Mm -hmm. Now, then there is a problem of the core versus the special projects. Right. And uh, I think that is very difficult. I think mm -hmm. every time there is a big opportunity, there is always some R&D to be done. And yeah. that, yes, that becomes a distraction. So one of the most complex things that I try to do, and I think I'm partially successful, is try to align the expectation between different partners so that at least we have one roadmap and not three competing roadmaps. Yes, exactly. Uh, <laughs> and that goes back to what you want to do and how can you focus your effort. It's tough. It, it remains tough. You really want to take all the opportunities and have one team for each one of them, but it's not possible. That's right. So, yeah, so it remains a difficult thing to do. And so we, we try to be agile in that and to mm -hmm. allocate 20, 30% of the energy, ideally in special projects and 70% to the core. And yeah. ideally try to sell the vision of the core to any partner we have so that they stick to that as much as possible. So can we switch topic a little bit towards your, your financing strategy? So many founders here, of course, are just raising their seed round or are looking to get into the venture capital game. How have you been thinking about that through the history of Tanaza and how have you balanced kind of finding external funding versus just living off the money you earn? Also another interesting topic. I would say we are from Italy. We, culturally speaking, we are not like typical, I would say, California-based companies that mm -hmm. think in a different way. So we like the idea of bootstrapping in some way. We did not use a lot of capital, to be honest with you, for, for a company of this size and with this history. So we funded, we started this company with uh, family and friends, got this seed round with, from, from this family office. We got a good seed funding from European Commission. They gave us 1.6 million euros, so almost $2 mm -hmm. million, dollars free awesome. equity. So that yep. was good. But I have to say, despite all this story, 2020 has been very tough, very yes. tough. Because on one side, there was this impulse to digitalization. 
But our core market, which was more in the SMB space and in places where you need to manage a network, do you see many places with people there, with crowded places? With No. So it's like the world was frozen for one year. Yeah, And then in the sa- that gave us time to develop more of the product and to establish stronger partnerships because our partners had, were facing some issues. So we're, we're working to be even stronger during 2021 and 2022. But I think we got to the point where we see exactly where I want to go. We have these core products to continue to develop. We have to develop these applications at the top and partnerships. So we think at this stage, uh, the next steps for us in terms of funding is to close a series, around, a series A round. Uh, ideally with an institutional investor that understands about the networking and connectivity space, which is not your typical investor. This is, I mean, if you're interested in other kind of markets, you may not even understand what that is. We don't want just the money. We want an investor that understands what we do and the vision mm-hmm. of disaggregating. And so I think the next nine to 12 months, we want to close a 5 million round in terms of what our strategy is for fundraising. This will allow us to scale the operations. So I think maybe in European terms, this is what I call an ambitious plan. Maybe the typical US company would say, well, that's the medium speed plan. But I would be very happy to be able to execute on this plan. And I think there are very good chances that we can make it. And I do think that, you know, if you have been able to show successful bootstrapping in the past, that also means you still owe a lot more of your equity and you can keep your own fate under control, right? And there's a lot to be said for that as well. I do think there's no one right way or one wrong way, right? It, it's just different perspectives and see what you need in order to, to make the best out of your company. I really love it. So with uh, having been in this business since about 2011, 2012, you said, Sebastiano, what advice would you impart on other founders that may not have been in business for that long yet that are looking to build a startup as successful as Tanaza? What are some of the key learnings you would like to share with them? You know, I just wanted to share something that I realized recently during COVID. I can't stand work from home. And the reason is I love so much to stay around with people and discuss of new things and new features of the coffee machine. I think the informal communication is where a company really can yes. do great things. So mm-hmm. what I realized is that even if it has been like one year since we seriously met together the last time as a company, I feel that the key people in the team are like, here with me in the room working. I didn't think I could rely on them so much, not only from the professional standpoint, but also from the emotional standpoint. I really see as if they are here with me. Mm-hmm. And still it's just frustrating to do work from home. But this means, hey, I can count on them way more than, than what I thought. Mm-hmm. Like way more. And, and I think the core is really to assemble a team of people more than finding the right best person in the industry for that specific role. I think once you have the right chemistry, the right passion and the right, and you can act as a whole, then, you know, even in complex times, you're going to face the problem and solve them. Maybe it's not the best way that an AI robot would do to optimize every KPI, but it's <laughs> how I like to do it because it's so, it has to be fun because otherwise at one point, you're not, you're not going to survive. You, you're going to, to lose the meaning. And the meaning is the most important thing. And, and people have to be connected to that. I love how you're pointing in between the lines often to 
how the real driving force is keeping up the energy, keeping up the motivation over time, because it is such a hard game sometimes. That motivation, that energy you can also get from other people on the team, how that is really a life force that keeps you in business over time. I love it. That's very good. So, uh, Sebastiano, as uh, the uh, final question, if people want to learn more about uh, Tanaza, uh, where can they go? What should they download? And is there any way in which they can help you reach those next milestones? Well, I would say if they go to our website, they can have a look of our product with a nice video. If they are mm-hmm. nerd enough, if they are innovative enough, they can even <laughs> download the software and start cloud managing their device for free. Excellent. So, um, and, and play with it. And I'd really love to know what they think about it. Ideally, for anyone that is managing the infrastructure or the homes and the Wi-Fi of, of the family, and I mean the distributed family, right. um, this, this product should be free. Now, we don't have anything that is clearly free for that kind of use, mm-hmm. but this is what we're going to do because we think that, you know, this aggregation is so disruptive and yeah. uh, we think it should be free for individual users. Why not? So play with it, talk about it, uh, use it with your family. And then, uh, yeah, and just spread the word. I think this is how anyone could help us. That's excellent. Okay, very good. And if there's any investors listening that have a particular experience in the network management industry, of course, I'd be happy to provide an introduction to Sebastiano as well. So thanks once again. This was an amazing interview. Really appreciate it, Sebastiano Bertani, the founder and CEO of Tanaza. Appreciate you joining. Thank you very much. It was a great pleasure. Like what you heard? Subscribe to this podcast and leave a review. Tune in next time for more tech news and interviews with some of the brightest minds in tech today.